Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today at Bible Baptist Church Online. We hope today will be a help to you and help you grow in your life and grow closer to Jesus Christ. Would you take your Bibles with me? Turn to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. I'm excited to be here. I hope you are as well. And uh, as you're turning to Matthew chapter 8 this morning, let me ask you an extremely important question. I mean, this is probably the most important question anyone could ever ask. Here it is. Are you ready? Who controls the TV remote in your house? <laughs> Who controls the TV remote in your house? This is a huge question, right? Because everybody wants to be in control, all right? Men, most men want to be in control of the remote. However, most ladies tell the men to turn it up or turn it down. So there's so many things. We all want to have control of the TV remote. But we like to be able to change the channels. We like to turn the volume up. All of those different things. But what happens when your TV remote stops working? What happens when your TV remote stops working? You know what I do? I start smacking it. <laughs> Trying to get the juices flowing. I don't even know why I do that. But it never works. I always try to push the buttons harder. Like it's not making connection. Again, never works. Um, I'll take the batteries out and put the batteries back in. Thinking that somehow by taking them out it recharges them. I have no idea why I do those things. But it's so frustrating when you have to... When, when the batteries die or whatever, the remote stops working. God forbid that I would ever have to leave my couch and get up and find, because who knows where they even are on the TV, the controls on the TV to figure out how to turn the volume up, down, change the channels, whatever. In fact, uh, the worst is when you're playing a video game, right? And your controller stops working. Have you ever been there? Um, we, we used to play Atari. Now, Atari is so old. Um, we just were a family that didn't have anything growing up um, as far as video games, but my parents had an Atari. We were able to get that Atari out one time a year. We would spend the day just kind of playing it, and that was it. We'd put it away for the year, and we went from Atari to PlayStation. So that's the era I grew up in, PlayStation. Um, but that's what we had. We had an Atari. It's just an 8-bit, horrible graphics, really a horrible gaming experience. But uh, we loved it. It was so much fun for us. But one of the things that we had in the controllers for the Atari were just joysticks, and they had a little red button on the bottom. And that was kind of like your fire mode and all these different things. And I remember playing, and what would happen all the time is that the joysticks would never work. And so you had to literally like hold the one end and just reef it over trying to move it. And there was this game called River Raid. River Raid was uh, basically just a river, and you had to move through. You were a plane, and you were trying to move through ships and different planes and all kinds of different things coming in at you. And I lost so many rounds of River Raid because my controller would not work. If you want to see somebody get really upset, watch them as their controller stops working while they're playing a video game. I hate it when I don't have control of what I want to have control of. All of us do. We all get frustrated when the controller doesn't work. If we're honest this morning, all of us are a little bit of a control freak, all right? All of us are. And I guarantee there's some people thinking right now, there is no way I am a control freak. You're denying the fact that you are. We all 
have something that we want to control. Let me bring this into our lives just a little bit. I don't think that there would be a parent uh, listening this morning uh, that does not want to control their children to some extent, okay? Uh, we want to control their behavior. We want them to be a good children. Uh, we want to control their eating habits. I was just talking to somebody this week that they, ha- they don't have uh, cereal in their house. And that blew me away because, like, I grew up eating Cinnamon Toast Crunch and Reese's Puffs and, like, every sugary cereal you could ever, like, we don't have cereal in our home because we don't want the kids to have sugary cereals, right? We control what they eat. Um, We control their bedtime. We control whether they do their homework. Uh, again, we, we have those controls, and so I'm, I'm not trying to say you need to be overly ridiculous, okay? I'm just trying to get you to realize that every one of us has some sort of control over something, and we want that control. The majority of us want control over, our, our, over ourselves. We want to do what we want to do. We don't really want anyone telling us what to do. Uh, we want to do our own thing. And we want to make our own decisions. If I'm living my life, I just want to make my own decisions, do what I want to do. I want to drive as fast as I want. I really don't like those speed limit signs, but I have to because I'll get a ticket. We just don't really like those things. So let me ask this question. Why do we want to control things? Why do we want to control things? Why is there a desire to control? Here's what I believe. I believe we want to control because we think we have authority over it. You say, Pastor Yeomans, that, that makes complete sense. It's just not very, that deep, not very much that deep. And I understand it's really not. But I want you to understand this morning, I have authority over my kids. God has given me that authority. And so therefore, I have the responsibility to control some of those things. I have authority over my car, Right? I have authority over it. When I'm in the driver's seat, I have authority of it. In fact, please don't touch the controls, okay, when I'm driving. If you're riding with me ever, don't touch the controls. That's my domain, okay? I'm in control of the car. I have authority over the TV, right? You're sitting down. I'm the king. I have the authority, okay? I have authority over that video game that I'm playing, okay? So therefore, I get to control it. I have authority over my phone, okay? My phone does what I want it to do. I have authority, some of us think, we have authority over our spouse, so therefore we want to control it. Some of us think we have authority over our coworkers, and so we try to control them. When we think that we have authority, we think that we have control. So if you're in the habit of writing things down, I want you to write this down. Control is an issue of authority. Control is an issue of authority. If we have authority, we have control. If we have not authority, we have no control. And our story today is a story of authority. It's a story of authority. You're in Matthew chapter 8. Look with me in verse 5. Just to get a little bit of a context around the story, Jesus in verses 1 to 4 has just healed a leper. He has just walked in, healed a leper, given him clean cleanliness. He, can no, he doesn't have to go around yelling unclean anymore. He is free from this disease. We pick up the story in verse 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, which was his home base, this was his city, this was the place where he kind of did everything out of, he would go from there, come back to here often. 
there came unto him a centurion, okay, a centurion, beseeching him, begging him, verse 6 says, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under the roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, and having soldiers under me, I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. He has authority, and so therefore he can control. Verse 10, when Jesus heard it, he marveled. And said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said unto the centurion, watch this now, go thy way. And as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll jump into this. Father, thank you so much for this day, for all that you've done for us. Father, I pray that as we look into your word today, that you would show us true authority, who you truly are. And Father, that we would relinquish our control back to you. Father, we love you. Thank you for all you do for us. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, most of the time we read a story in the Bible and we just look at it at face value. And that's great. That's a wonderful thing to do. But a lot of times in the Bible, there's a little bit of a backstory. And there's a little bit of context and a little bit of circumstances surrounding it. So I believe in order to fully understand this story, we need to give a little bit of what's going on in the background. At this time in history, again, we've said this multiple times over the last couple of weeks, but the Romans ruled over Israel. That meant simply that the Romans had authority over Israel. Every Jew was subject to the Romans. Every Jew. That meant they had to pay taxes to the Roman government. Man, that's a lovely thing, isn't it? Paying taxes. But they had to do that. They had to obey the Romans. In fact, there was even a law uh, that the Roman soldier, any Roman soldier, could come up to a Jewish man, and that Jewish man had to stop what he was doing, and that Roman soldier could compel or make that Jewish man carry all his armor and his baggage for one whole mile. Man, what if you were working hard one day trying to provide for your family and a Roman soldier, just because he's lazy and doesn't want to carry his own stuff, comes up to you and says, hey, you have to carry this for a mile. Man, how would that make you feel? That wouldn't make me feel very good. I would not enjoy that at all. And so here we are. This is kind of the background. The Romans had authority over the Jews. They, if you will, had control. Now this man, again in verse 5, you see that there came unto him a centurion. That is an incredibly important word because this describes who he was. This was a Roman soldier, but not just any regular Roman soldier, centurion, was at a, a, a commander, a soldier over at least 100 different soldiers. From what I could find out, this would be equal to an army captain. 
a captain. So this is higher than a sergeant. This is higher than a lieutenant. This is a captain. Pretty impressive man. So this man was, again, in a position of authority. And he shows us that. In verse 9, for I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. So he has soldiers under him. I say to this man, go and he goeth, and to another come and he cometh, and to my servant do this and he doeth it. They just get it done. I have authority. So he was a man of authority over people. It is also important to understand that the Jews did not especially like <laughs> the Romans. Now again, you have to think of this. You're living in a country, you're, you're, you have your uh, Jewish traditions, you have everything going on, you, you have your family nearby, you get to travel wherever you want, you just are just enjoying life, and somebody comes in and invades your country and takes control over that. They take control from you. You see, the Romans had come in and conquered their land. And so, no, the Romans and the Jews are not exactly best friends. The Romans had taken control from the Jewish people. So we see the Roman side of things, and we see the fact that the Jewish people don't exactly care for the Romans, and there's two different people in this story. There's the centurion, and there's Jesus. So we've talked about the centurion. Let's take a minute and look at Jesus. We believe this. We believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the creator of all things. He is the supreme being in the universe. There is no one greater than him. Nothing can, can withstand him. We believe that the creator, the almighty, powerful God, took upon him the form of a man, a human being. Why? so that he could pay the penalty of our sins for us. But I want you to understand this. This Jesus, being God, literally had authority over everything. Everything. In fact, we, we saw last week that he calmed the storm on the sea. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him, the disciples said. And so we understand that Jesus has authority even over the spiritual realm. He cast demons out. We saw that last week. So Jesus has all authority over all people. So if you will, if, if you're looking at this, there is an authority clash getting ready to happen. Okay, have you ever been in those situations where there's an authority clash? Not exactly the most fun uh, op, uh, positions to be in. Uh, it's a bit awkward, like, oh my goodness, what is going on here? But I want you to first of all notice what the centurion says to Jesus. Notice in verse 6. The centurion comes to him, begging him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Now, I'm not going to get into everything that palsy has to, has to account for, but I want you to understand this. This man was sick. He was dying and grievously tormented. He was not getting better. This was not going to go well. But I want you to notice, first of all, what the centurion calls him. Notice the word Lord, and saying Lord. Lord is a term of respect uh, in any circumstance. 
Okay, if you call someone Lord, especially old times, right? Lords and ladies, they were of the upper echelon. They were the, the elite of society. And so when you called them Lord, you were showing them a sign of respect, if you will, a term of authority. You have authority over me. You are my Lord. And so already the first words out of this man's mouth is humility. We, we begin seeing this man's humility. We already see this man, this centurion, coming under the authority of Jesus Christ. He's already making that, those steps. But notice this. He simply tells Jesus about his problem. Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. I want you to watch this. This is in, extremely curious. The centurion furthers his subordination by not telling Jesus what to do about it. Okay, this is so important. Let me say that again. The centurion furthers his subordination by not telling Jesus what to do about it. He simply states the problem. And I feel like this is where many of us get trapped. Many of us get trapped in the middle of this. We want to come to God because we know he is all authority. We want to go to God and because we trust him. And maybe you're saved today. You know Jesus Christ is your personal savior. And you know you're going to heaven. And you trust him for that. But every time you come to him, you begin telling Jesus what you want him to do. God, I, I have a financial problem. I need you to provide the funds for this. Uh, got a, I've got a, a, a car that's not working properly. You need to fix that. Uh, God, uh, my, my family member is sick and it, it, he's not doing well and I, I need you to heal him. We, we begin telling God what to do. God, I have an exam coming up and I need you to help me pass it. God, I have this overwhelming obstacle in my life and I don't know how to get over it, but you need to do something about this. What we end up doing is we end up telling God how we want him to deal with it, how we want him to deal with it. I'm reading a book currently uh, by Lloyd John Ogilvie, and it's called Praying with Power. And he alludes to this exact predicament in which we tell God how to solve our problems. And he says this, we tell God what to do and when we do that, we tell him what we think is best for us. But in this moment, we are breaking the first commandment. The first commandment says this, thou shalt have no other gods before me. What we're doing is we're putting ourselves in authority over God. And we are using God like a little genie in a lamp and saying, God, you have to perform my wish for me. God, you have to do what I want you to do. I am the master. If you've ever seen the, the, the story Aladdin, the movie Aladdin, right? He is the master. Master, what did you want me to do? Listen, we are not the master over God. God has authority over us. And so we begin putting ourselves over top of God. When we tell God how we want our problems dealt with, we put ourselves in front of God. Listen, there's nothing wrong with telling God how we feel. There's nothing wrong with telling God what our desires are. But we must realize that it is his will that must be accomplished. In fact, Jesus Christ did just this. 
Jesus Christ came to God and prayed in the garden and said, uh, God, this is, my, this is what I want. Let this cup pass from me. I don't want to go through this. But he said, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. So listen, we get trapped here. So let me encourage you this morning. We need to get into the habit of simply telling God our problems. And here's the hard part. And letting him decide how to deal with it. Let me say that again. We need to get into the habit of telling God our problems and letting him decide how to deal with it. But guess what that's going to do? That's going to entail us giving control over. That's going to entail us taking the batteries out of our controller. That's going to entail us unplugging the controller from the system and saying, God, I can't. You have to. I don't know how you're going to do it, but you do it the way that you see fit. It's letting go of the controls of our life. And here's what I love. Jesus ever so graciously says, I will come and heal him. Look at verse 7. Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. Which is, which is exactly what the centurion wanted. He wants his servant healed, right? But he just comes to Jesus, gives him the problem, and Jesus says, all right, done, I'll heal him. Again, Jews did not necessarily love the Romans. Jesus had all authority. Did Jesus have to help this man? Absolutely not. But Jesus offers to serve him. He offers, how can I help you? What can I do? Regardless of this man's background, regardless of his status, he offered to help him. Let me ask this question to you this morning. What person is there in your life that you will not help? Absolutely not, will not help them. What, what person is there that you will absolutely not share hope with? Jesus, in this instance, loves his enemies. In fact, the Bible tells us to love our enemies, do good to them that hate us and pray for them which despitefully use us and persecute us listen if we can learn anything from jesus in this moment it is every person has value every person has value regardless of their background so this centurion is incredibly thankful jesus has just said i will come and heal him he's going to solve his problem but this centurion continues down the, the path of giving Jesus greater and greater authority over his life. Look what he says in verse 8. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. Watch, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. I just want to stop here just for a second. Listen, he's saying, listen, I am not worthy. We could spend all kinds of time as to why he believes this, but state it for this. He had humility. Again, this man was a man of authority. He had every, he, he had servants. He had people underneath him. He was a man of authority. He was used to getting his way. And he says, I'm humbling myself before almighty God, the Lord. I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. But look at, he says, just speak the word. Just speak the word. And, and he continues. 
For I am a man under authority. Obviously, a captain has colonels and generals and majors over top of them. Okay, so they are under authority, and they also have people under their own authority. And he continues, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. Why, why is he saying this? Why is he saying this? This doesn't really make sense. Here's what I believe, and you can take this for what you want. But I believe the centurion knows what authority is all about. I believe the centurion knows every detail about what authority is. The centurion knew that when a command was given, it would be done. The Roman army was one of those types of armies that if you didn't do it, it would not end well for you. In fact, we know from history that if a Roman, a Roman uh, guard was guarding a prisoner and that prisoner escaped, the Roman guard would die. So this was not just some lackadaisical Roman uh, military. This was you do what you are told. He knew, I believe, that Jesus had authority over every single thing in the world. Just like this man, this centurion, saw how the authority of the Roman army worked, he knew that Jesus had the authority to simply say the command. Jesus didn't need to see the servant, just like a general doesn't need to see the battle. He just gives the command. Just give the command, Jesus, and my servant will be healed. Listen to me. The centurion recognized the authority of Jesus. And look what Jesus says about him. Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Jesus is flabbergasted. I love that word. Flabbergasted. He marveled at this man's faith. This man's faith. And you might say, Pesciomans, how is this possible? How do we get to a point where we come under the authority of God, where we have such great faith? And typically when we look at this story, we all marvel at this man. Right? We all do. I do. Man, I just want my faith to be like that. Man, if I just work harder, if I do more, if I just trust more, if I, just, if I was a better Christian, I would have more faith. Even Jesus commends him for his faith. But if, again, if you're in the habit of writing things down, would you please write this down? Faith is the recognition and acceptance of evidence. Let me say that again. Faith is the recognition and acceptance of evidence. Up until this point, people were continually being skeptical about Jesus. They're like, who is this man? Why is he doing all of these things? We read in John chapter 3 several weeks ago. Hey, we know that thou art from God. Because no man can do these miracles except they be from God. There are a few people that were realizing there is something special about this man. This is no ordinary miracle worker. This is no ordinary magician. This man is from God. But most of them, Jesus alluding to that, I have not seen so great a faith, no, not in Israel. 
They didn't recognize who Jesus was. But this centurion, however it happened, I have no idea. But he had heard and he had seen enough to believe that Jesus could heal his servant by just simply giving the command. I want you to understand this this morning, and this is important. Faith is not dependent upon you. Let me say that again. Faith is not dependent upon you. Listen, faith is dependent upon the work Jesus has already done. Jesus has already finished the work. Now, here's the evidence. The evidence is there. The question is, are you going to recognize it and accept it? In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so the fact of the matter is, Jesus has already finished the work. He's already done many things. He's already uh, turned water into wine. He's already healed lepers. He's, he's just done so many amazing things. Listen, this man, this centurion, didn't need any more evidence. The verdict was given, this man has authority. And so listen, he had the faith based upon what Jesus Christ had already done. Listen to me, Jesus Christ has already died for your sins. Jesus Christ has already paid the penalty of your sins and he wants you to come. The evidence is there, it's in his word. And all you need to do is accept it, recognize it. Hey, I see the evidence before me. And I accept that that's true. That is faith. So you want to know how to have such great faith? Just believe what Jesus Christ has already done. Recognize it. And accept it. Don't be in denial. Recognize it and accept it. And this is awesome. I love this. Jesus uses this opportunity. I have found, not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. He uses this opportunity to teach us something. Look at verse 11 and 12. And I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out in the outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This seems kind of odd to put in the middle of this story, but it's important. All of the Jews at this time thought that God was going to set up his earthly kingdom. And when Jesus would set up his earthly kingdom, the Jews would be the stars of the kingdom because they were his chosen people. God chose them and God promised them many, many things. But here's, here's awesome news. Jesus had other plans. Jesus had plans on bringing salvation to all mankind. Notice, he's, he's really poking the Jews here. Verse 11, and I say unto you that many shall come from the east and from the west. I believe this is saying, again, I could be completely wrong here. I want you to understand this, but this is what I believe. He's talking about Gentiles. 
Many are going to come from the east and from the west, and they're going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're going to sit down with the fathers of the Jewish nation. That would appall the Jews. They would be like, oh my goodness, I can't imagine that anybody would ever do that. And he's saying, but the children of the kingdom, the children of Israel, the Jews, man, if they don't recognize, they're going to be cast out. Jesus had plans on bringing salvation to all mankind, not just the Jews. Here's, here's the application for this. Man, many times we expect that God is going to work in a certain way. We expect that God is going to do things a certain way. We expect him to follow our course. And when, when, when he doesn't do that, what happens? We get extremely upset with him. God, you didn't heal my family member. God, you didn't provide the finances that I needed. God, you, you let that person die. God, you, 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 let, you let me go through that very difficult time. And I asked you to take me out of it. We get upset with God. Now, I know this is not a very popular statement. But listen to me, God should be the authority in our lives. Jesus Christ should be the authority in our lives, meaning this, he should have control. We should be putting our faith in him and his way for the best outcome. The popular theme of our society is that we are in control of our own destinies. We are in control of our own lives. No one has authority over me. Listen, you can absolutely live your life that way. Absolutely you can. But I'm telling you, you're gonna miss out on the amazing, powerful things that God has prepared for your life. I did not say that it would be easy. I did not say that if you submit to the authority of Jesus Christ, all your problems go away. I did not say that. But what will happen is you will turn your cares over to God and you will let him deal with them. You will just trust him. And you will, be, you will feel free. In fact, the Bible tells us that we shall know the truth and the truth will make us free. Listen, when you believe the evidence, it makes you free. You're not burdened down with your decisions anymore. You're not burdened down with what's going to happen. It's just, God, whatever your will is, just tell me what I need to do. Just command me. Just have authority over my life. I want to do your will. God has some amazing things planned for your life. But you've got to submit. Oh, what a horrible word that is in our society. But what a powerful word it is in God's economy. Submit to God's authority. Submit. The evidence is there. God has done some amazing things. Listen, look at the word of God. In fact, I challenge you with this. Don't look at my life and think, wow, God is so amazing. Don't look at anyone else's life. Listen, religion will always fail you. Religion will always give us the wrong idea. Listen, don't look at man. Look at God. 
Don't look at a religion. Look at God. Look at his word. Where I go wrong from this word, look at this word. Where any other man goes wrong, it's the word of God. Find out who God is. Listen, I, as pastor of Bible Baptist Church, should not be the authority in your life. God should be. Not me. Simply trust your life to the authority of the one who created us. He is worthy. He knows what will give us life and give it to us more abundantly. If you're here today and you've never come to Jesus Christ before, then man, I, I want to encourage you. Have faith in him. He's died on the cross for your sins. You're all sinners. Every one of us are sinners. We all deserve to die and go to hell. But Jesus Christ died for us. Won't you come to him? Won't you accept the evidence? Won't you just recognize that he has done this work for you? My challenge to you this morning is simple. Come under the authority of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for all you do for us. Father, would you please help us to come under your authority in every detail of our lives. I pray that your will would be accomplished. Father, I pray if there's one that is listening to this this morning that does not know you as personal Savior, that today would be that day. And Father, you would get the honor and the glory for it. We love you. Thank you for all you do for us. And we pray all these things in your name. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Very simply this. We want you to take some time and spend with the Lord right now coming under his authority. Surrender your life, every aspect of it, to him. Let's give you that time right now.